Welcome to the Amplify Peace Podcast. I'm Julie Bean, your co-host, along with Lisa Jernigan. And on this episode, we're kicking off season two in a big way. Are you ready for this? Our guest today is Eugene Cho, and we are so excited to have him. As you know, he's a pastor, a humanitarian, and of course, an acclaimed author. And so we've chosen his most recent book for our February book club. So come and join us completely free online. The dates are February 17th and 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. The first session on Wednesday, the 17th, we'll have some commentary and overview by Daniel Strickland and Cheryl Nemhard, and then hosted by Lisa Jernigan. And then again, on the 24th, come and join us. We will have an interview with Eugene Cho. We'll have Q&A. You'll have an opportunity to ask your questions. Again, online, interactive, completely free. Register at amplifypeace.com forward slash book club, and you can buy the book there as well. We would love to have you. A little bit more about Eugene and his work. He's been described as a leading and powerful voice in a humble package. Eugene is newly the president and CEO for Bread for the World and Bread Institute. He's also the founder and visionary of One Day's Wages. He's the founder and former senior pastor for 18 years of Quest Church. He and his wife have been married for 23 years, have three children, and live in Seattle. So he's going to share a lot about this, more about his journey. Let's listen in with Eugene Cho and Lisa Jernigan. Well, first of all, Eugene, I just want to welcome you to this podcast. Um, please know how honored we are for this opportunity to truly amplify your work, your heart, and your voice. And personally, I have such a deep respect for you and just the decisions you've made, the way you've lived your life over the past years and just currently, and how you are really using your life and the work that you do for the flourishing of all people, especially those that have been marginalized and vulnerable. And so I followed your work. Um, and it's been such a treat just to see just how you continually move forward, just with passion and conviction. And it's really, it's, it's rare to see that. So I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much. Wow, what a it's so encouraging. And during a time and a season where I feel a little beat up and challenged and, and discouraged, because the work at times can be hard to hear those words from a fellow sister in Christ and someone that shares those convictions. It's really uh, like a balm to my soul and mm -hmm. spirit. And I say that very genuinely. Uh, in a very similar way, I have had so much deep respect uh, for you and for your husband, for the ministry that God has called you to. Uh, we haven't known each other super well, but we have had the privilege of crossing paths on a couple occasions. Uh, a couple of years ago, you had me at the Peace Conference as well, and that was a delight uh, to see as well. And uh, to be able to, 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 to travel to Rwanda with your husband, Cal. That was a, a big treat to hear all the stories behind the scenes, you know, uh, to put flesh into the legend of the Jernigans was a real big treat. So again, thank you for having me on your podcast. Well, we just have so much to learn from you and to hear what you're doing. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's really easy, especially this season, everybody's isolated, but we can be isolated more than just physically, but we're isolated in our own corners of the world. And it's so important to know that work is continuing um, in other places and the fight goes on and we're not alone in that. So like you said, 
we just find so much encouragement from knowing what you're doing. And we just want to come alongside you because it matters and it's important. We need people to standing in these spaces. So um, deeply honored. I'm going to ask you to just, as we start off, I know a little bit of your life story, just kind of leading up, but um, I want to learn more. And I want just our, our listeners to understand a little bit of who you are, where you've been, your journey, mm-hmm. and just the, the path you've taken to get you to today where you're leading with bread for, for the world. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Gosh, where do I begin? Uh, I'll just maybe share with you where I was born. I was born in Seoul, South Korea, immigrated when I was six years old. I'm the youngest son of my parents. My father was born in a country that is now called North Korea. Back when he was born, there was only one Korea before a war broke out that separated not just one nation into two, but literally millions of family. And so we're one of those families that were separated from our our family. And so we still have some folks that supposedly are still living in North Korea at this time. But my parents suffered tremendously, war, famine, hunger, the inability to uh, go to school on a regular basis. My father spent time in a refugee camp. And all along, I think they persevered, uh, grew in their faith, and wanted a better opportunity for themselves and for their children. I think one of the reasons why, as I read the scriptures, not only do the scriptures elevate God's heart for the poor, the marginalized, but I think it's also becoming a bit more in tune and sensitive with my own story and my parents' story in particular. But uh, when I was 18 years old, I made a personal decision to, to follow Christ in all of my imperfections became a pastor at the age of 21, went to seminary, and around the age of, I think it was around 27 or 28, planted a church in Seattle called Quest Church. My wife and I pastored that church for about 18 years. And just recently, a couple of years ago, we decided to step aside. uh, And we weren't quite sure what that next journey would look like. And right now, you know, I spent a portion of my time just trying to encourage pastors and missionaries as I'm able to, speaking at a, a couple places here and there. Uh, I have a level of influence and leadership over a humanitarian organization that we started called One Day's Wages. And then about six months ago, I began this new post, this new calling as the president and CEO of Bread for the World, a Christian collective uh, advocacy organization urging our lawmakers in our Congress, but also in our respective states to help end hunger in our cities, in our nation, and around the world. And as you could surmise, it has been quite a challenging context in our nation from a political perspective. And I'm sure we'll, sh- we'll talk a bit more about Bread for the World, but that kind of catches people up to speed about, um, about my story. Well, I don't know if you could have picked a more difficult year to come on board, right, in this new role during this pandemic time and all the challenges that even on the best of days are challenging, but uh, good for you. <laughs> you, you know, right? it's, one, it's one of those things where I had no idea how challenging. The last time I was in Washington, D.C. was in March for their board meeting where they were uh, selecting me or voting on me. I haven't been able to get back to D.C., so like so many people working remotely, but yes, had no idea about the pandemic, about the social unrest, about the political landscape. And maybe if I'm honest with you, if I knew, I probably wouldn't have said yes, if I knew. (laughs) I mean, 
But I think in many ways, this is the way that God works. He doesn't always give us every single step of his calling for us. And we're just called to say yes in that moment and be faithful and obedient. That is so true. I think if God would have given us the, the shown us a little bit of the future, we would have not made some, some decisions that would have could have possibly made humong- humongous change, significant change, right? right. So like you said, right. you might not have done that, but God placed you and, and he has a sense of humor, right? It's like, okay. I'm gonna- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite laughing right now, but I'm sure I, know, I will. Eventually. I know, but sometimes you have to, right? You have to right, really face this. <laughs> well, I'm just, um, I'm really glad you're in that role. And it's like, we just want to support you in any way and get other people to support this work because- you represent so many, uh, literally millions of people globally, because this is not just a United States thing, even though it sure. applies so much here. But um, I recently read a figure, and it's really hard to wrap my head around it, that there's 822 million people uh, who experience hunger each day. That's right. And, you know, we hear that number, and it's it's almost too over- overwhelming that we it paralyzes us. We do nothing. Cause it's like, I don't even know what I could do. Right. And so you, with your work with, with bread, um, have really taken a deeper dive into what this looks like and what we can do, um, as individuals, as, as followers of Jesus, how do we step into the spaces and go, we can't allow this to continue. Right. And so how do we break that number down for people to take it from the 822 million to go, it's the one. And sure. how do I see the one? And how do I believe that I can make a difference? Sure. And that one multiplies. Right. It's a great question. And I would begin by saying that it's not our job or calling or duty or obligation to save the whole world. Uh, there is a savior. His name is Jesus. We can't feed the entire world. We can't change the entire world. Anyone that says otherwise, I think it's a marketing slogan. But at the same time, that isn't permission for us to abdicate responsibility. It isn't permission for us to somehow disengage. When I think about hunger, you mentioned this just mesmerizing, overwhelming statistic about hunger, and it's only gone up in this past year because of the COVID pandemic. Experts are predicting that by the end of next year, if we don't act, that number that you cited will likely grow over 1 billion, which is a huge digression. So what I try to do is I think about the fact that hunger is not just an issue over there. We have women and men and children in our local churches, in our neighborhoods, in our own cities. It's very local as well as global as well. Now, there's numerous things that we can do. We can begin with just education and knowledge. I think that really matters. I think these podcasts, these interviews, books that we read, interviews, all of it really matters. But it's not just growing and puffing our head in knowledge. I think we're called to to prayer. I think prayer isn't some sort of a docile, disconnected act. I think it softens our heart, for one. And we need to constantly have our hearts softened in a world that's increasingly becoming hardened and cynical. But in addition to those things, I think God also calls us to action. James tells us in the New Testament, faith without works is dead. So what could those works be? Well, certainly we can donate. We can donate to our local food banks. We can donate to agencies and nonprofits that are doing direct relief work. Um, And there's numerous that are out there. 
But in addition to those things, one of the main pieces that bread for the world that we're trying to engage the church in is this call of advocacy. And I'll be very honest with you. We don't have stories of water wells and schools being built because we're not doing that work on our own, but we're doing a lot of work upstream so that Christians and nonprofits and others, both faith-based and non-faith-based, can reap some of the benefits of the advocacy that we're doing downstream so that ultimately they're not just giving people fish to eat, but they're teaching them also how to fish for themselves. One of the ways that we're doing that is to urge our nation's lawmakers to help end hunger. There might be some folks who are listening to this that might be familiar with a program called uh, PEPFAR, where during President George Bush some terms ago, by a single stroke of his signature, he helped release significant resources of taxpayer money, money that you and I and others give. And so we're asking our government to be more moral, to be more just, to be more courageous, uh, to be more... Um, compassionate in the ways that we engage our policies and structures. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that when people give directly to their favorite NGOs, those matter. But for every single uh, time that we raise our voices, people will be shocked at the impact our government programs can make. Last point that I'll just say is, I'm not suggesting that politics is the answer. For us as Christians, we know that to be false. It's a blasphemous comment. Sometimes as I'm working in the halls of power in DC, I sometimes wonder if there are people that believe politics is the answer. And I think for us from a Christian perspective, anytime we replace the blank in place of Jesus, it's idolatrous. But I still wanna remind people that politics matters because it informs policies that impact people. And more often than not, people that are often on the margins. And every single time I read the Holy Scriptures, we know that God cares about people. Wow. You know what? Just it, as I'm listening to you share all this, it's like a reframing of our mind. First of all, when you hear the word advocacy, Sometimes we immediately defer that to it's a political word and it means I have to go, you know, different things, but we all can use our voices. Like you said, how do we use our voice, but how do we use our voice in such a way that it helps hmm. instead of hurts? And we see a lot of times people using their voice, their resources, their time, their life in ways that are more harmful than helpful. And so I just appreciate the work. I, I just love how you take this to a deeper level and, and cause us to see it from a different perspective and angle. And even how policy just in, in impacts people's lives. It's not like this, these rules and, and politics. And we tend to think of the, the, you know, politics as a dirty word and a negative thing. And, you know, in, in the recent, you know, year about how that we defer to that. But instead of how do we see it as we're forming policies that can improve the lives of people? And that's what really government was created for, right? To improve that's the right. lives of people. Yeah, I, mean, I think you nailed it, Lisa. Politics has become this stained word that causes a lot of anger or confusion. But 
the definition of politics is the art of governance. So a family, they might not call it politics, but they have a system of managing their family. A church has a system of, way, of, of, of doing things. Now, let's just be honest. The best thing about church for those who go to church is people. The most challenging thing about church is people. <laughs> and so when we're talking about government or politics, the best thing is people. And the most challenging thing is people, especially when people are coming from so many different ideological spaces and places. But I think what I want to be able to tell people is that there's a difference between trying to engage politics and then being about exclusively partisan politics when we've basically given our absolute loyalty to one party, to one politician, to whatever it may be, that's dangerous. There's another word for that. It's called idolatry. And I'm not speaking to just one. I'm speaking to all parties. And for us as Christians to make sure that our ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as best as we can, as humbly as we can, trying uh, to pursue God's kingdom here on this earth. That's the reason why when people ask me the question, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I cringe at that question, but my honest response is, what are we talking about? On what issue? I'm neither, but I have inclinations towards one particular platform, depending on the issues that we're speaking of. Uh, Bread for the World focuses uh, just primarily on the issues of hunger and all of the main facets and aspects that contribute to rising hunger. I would like for everyone to think and believe hunger should not be a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. like every person, but particularly Christians, we should care. And, and you mentioned the word earlier about how we can contribute to the flourishing of our world, to the common good. I can't think of anything more unifying than seeking the common good, the flourishing of our larger society. Wow. And you know what, and it's, it is breaking it down because when you were, you were talking and you know, how do we use our voice? I think so many of us will go, I am just one person. What can I really do? What difference does my voice really make? And then we do nothing instead of realizing if everybody had that attitude, nothing would get done. But if everybody said, what is mine to do and step into that space. And after this podcast on our website, we're going to give some tools and ways you can use your voice and, and advocacy and direct them to some of the resources you have, because I think that's really important to realize we have a voice to use in an appropriate way and we can guide people on how to use their voice. And like you said, it matters. We just, when you send it in, it does matter, right? It matters. And I think it's also just part of our discipleship. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's what it comes down to. For me, it's not so much about trying to get people plugged into bread or trying to get people to do this or that. Ultimately, as leaders in the church, we want to help people grow in their discipleship. The temptation is real for things to be about me, myself, and I. When Jesus speaks about loving your neighbor, you know, there's a reason why in the majority of the stories and the parables that he uses, he specifically points out human beings created in God's image that were not seen as equals. Uh, the Samaritan woman at the well is a perfect example of someone that was marginalized. And so when I think about Jesus summarizing the great commandments into loving loving God and loving people, to, uh, loving our neighbors, we have to, again, amplify the message 
that to love our neighbors is not simply to love those that look like us, think like us, feel like us, worship like us, and as we're talking about politics, even those that vote like us. Mm. And so a lot of what we're talking about here is how do we truly live as peacemakers, ushering in the shalom of God, the wholeness and completeness that he intended for all creation and for all people. And so as I, as I kind of close this time, I want to ask you a question that I ask often, but it's, it's interesting, all the different responses. So how would you fill in um, and explain this sentence? A peacemaker is. Mm. That's a great question. And I, I you know for me, I would simply say a peacemaker is a follower of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Mm. And that really in itself is a journey that will never end. It's a lifelong pursuit and a lifelong commitment. So good. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lisa Jernigan and Eugene Cho. And good news, this is part one of a two-part conversation. So tune in to part two, check it out. In the second part of the conversation, they talk more about the holistic approach of the gospel, as well as justice and God's truth. And in this conversation, I really appreciated a few things that he mentioned, specifically in a hardened world how sincere prayer softens our hearts, as well as what are, what is our place in advocacy and how politics really isn't the answer, but it does matter because it so informs the policies that truly impact people. So good. So for more information on Eugene Cho, you can go to eugenecho.com. For more information on Amplify Peace, you can go to amplifypeace.com. And please come and join us for our February book club. You can register there at our website. And of course, as always, follow us on all the social media. Thanks, everyone. 